Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. Greetings, Hushlings. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Where we journey into the world of conspiratorial mysteries and dark truths. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And as always, we're joined by our resident tanner, Slick Frank Sanders. Hey, yo, what it do? That hide, it be tanned. Better watch out. You don't tan your hide. How you boys doing? Frank, you're looking yeah. leathery today. Leathery, yeah. Leathery. Well, see... <laughs> you, you, your boy got a case of the good old Black Death. I've got the fucking plague. I don't know what it is, but it's not good. <laughs> That's right, Hushlings. Frank is out here recording an episode for you because he cares. He's fighting through. He's making his way downtown. Walking fast. Yep. See? What's the rest of that song? I don't know. Homebound for a fucking <laughs> funeral home at this point. Boys! We're in it. We're in it to win it. You know where we're at today? You know where we... Dude, look... Where are we? Look at the calendar. I just want you to take a look. It's pumpkin spice latte season. The pumpkins. That's right, Hushlings. If you don't know what a pumpkin is, we're going to remind you of what you're going to do. You're going to go out. You're going to find a, a reasonably sized pumpkin. It is the season. Hushtober. Here we are. October. Go out. Get yourself a pumpkin, carve it out real nice, spend the day with your girlfriend, fiance, wife, whatever it may be. Take your time, whittle it, carve it out, dig it out, put a little peephole in the back and stick your dick right in that hole. You got to leave the seeds in the pulp. <laughs> yeah, leave, leave the seeds in the pulp, warm it up in the mic. Yeah, the warm it up part, that's that's crucial. That's the only way that it's not going to feel like you're fucking a gourd if you put it in the microwave <laughs> first. And you don't necessarily need a girlfriend or anything to do this with. You don't need a significant other to do it with. You can do this by yourself to get in the season, to get in, and, to, to get into the season's greetings, the real season's and, greetings. And Thanksgiving, you can do it with a turkey. There you go. Hey. That's bestiality. And necrophilia. Speaking of necrophilia. Speaking of that, 
Hushlings, in this spooky debriefing, we'll be discussing one of the most prolific, infamous killers of all time. The inspiration for the characters Leatherface and Norman Bates, he was suspected of up to nine killings and convicted of two. Known as the Butcher of Plainfield or the Plainfield Ghoul, he would take trophies from his victims and create furnishings and other items from their skin and body parts. Hushlings, today we will be discussing Ed Gain. But before we put any skin in the game, just want to remind you of our social medias, Facebook, Instagram, and yes, it's still Twitter. Fuck you, Elon. Follow us over there. We're posting all the updates. Actually, social media has kind of slowed down, uh, to be completely honest. But the show goes on. And if you want the real updates, they're on our website. Absolutely www.hushhushsociety.com where you can get everything 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 episodes blogs guest profiles go see who we've talked to fascinating people and our merch store and the direct link to our rockfin that's right and on our rockfin channel you can see our beautiful faces while we uh, lullaby your your sweet ear holes while you listen to these podcasts. You can also see our guests. You can see how we interact with them with our faces. The emotional exchange of facial expressions is something unlike anything that you're going to get anywhere else besides our Rockfin. So definitely head over to rockfin.com, look up the Hush Hush Society, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, all that good stuff. And in this debriefing, you can see Slick Frank Sanders dying. I've been dying every single episode. <laughs> Nobody knows. There's actually nothing below here. Yeah. <laughs> just the half body. Yeah, I'm just half of a body. That's especially for October. Yeah. Well, one more thing before we jump into this. Hushlings as always, your reviews are super important to us. We love them. We enjoy them. Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Spotify is the easiest one. Five stars, you're on your way. Hit play. Have a good day. You like that? Did you guys see that? If I could that was break amazing. that shit down. Yeah. Real Dr. Seuss. All right, let's jump into it. On August 26th of 1906, Edward Theodore Gain was born to George and Augusta Gain in La Crosse, Wisconsin. He was one of two boys born to the family his brother Henry being the oldest. Augusta, who was deeply religious and officially affiliated with Lutheranism, spoke about the inherent moral corruption she saw in the world. The sinfulness of alcohol consumption and her conviction that all women except herself were naturally inclined toward promiscuity and influenced by malevolent forces. Every afternoon she set aside time to read the Bible passages to her sons. He, her selections were mostly from the Old Testament and the Book of Revelation, and they dealt with death, murder, and divine punishment. George Gain, Ed's father, owned a grocery store in La Crosse, but mainly worked odd jobs including carpentry, insurance, and tannering. Lots of uh, men of all trades. You know? Yeah. Also pay attention to that tannering line there, huh? Mm. Mm -hmm. Keep that keep that up there. Keep that up uh up top. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> Don't read too deep into that one. 
Gain had a rough upbringing. His father was an alcoholic, and his mother was nasty to him verbally. Gain idolized his mother, though, which allegedly bothered his older brother, Henry, who confronted her in Gain's presence on occasion. Henry had a real big problem with the relationship between Ed and his mother, because Ed was obsessed with his mother. And as we go on, you will see how far that obsession really went in a very weird way. Shortly after his birth, George sold the grocery store and the family moved to a 155-acre farm in Plainfield, Wisconsin. The farm was isolated, which only spurred Augusta to keep her sons from the outside world as much as possible. The boys would only leave to attend school, which they would drop out of a short time later. Gotta keep the boys close, keep them out of that dangerous world. You, know, you don't want you don't want your sons turning into crazies or anything. No, nothing like that. These people also their family lived through the depression as well. Yeah. Gotta keep that in mind. Yeah, but so did a bunch of other families, and they didn't have like weird little sick fuck sons. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe they did, but not I'm like sure this. There was more than one. Yeah. To make matters worse, in 1940, George died from a heart failure after a long bout with alcoholism. The brothers Ed and Henry then took on the responsibilities of the farm and took on odd jobs as handymen around the town to keep the bills paid. Gotta keep the lights on. Gotta keep mama fed. Ed enjoyed babysitting children as he found himself relating more to them than adults. Little, that's a, I found that to be a weird little thing is that it is um, among all the stuff that he later went on to do, he had like this affinity towards children, not in a weird way, but in a way of like loving them and caring for them. Mom's Ed, you piece of shit. Yeah, every single yeah. day. Yeah. You know? Maybe that was part of it because as we move on, you'll see he again with his mother tried to be in her shadow, let's just say. And maybe this was like an early telling sign of him being motherly or parental. Well, you also see that even with, like, full-grown adults that never leave the nest. They, like, just stay children. So, yeah, they're going to relate with children. It makes sense. As time would go by, Henry would be raising concern over Ed's obsessive relationship with their mother. Often, Henry would badmouth Augusta, which Ed took to heart, often causing disagreements between both the brothers. You keep my mother's name out of your fucking mouth. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you said it was a weird relationship. I don't think it was weird. Well, I don't know. It was obsessive. I mean, you never not know. like Wisconsin in a field weird. It wasn't weird like that. Yeah, I don't know how if it was a sexual obsession. I think it was just a real big mommy issues. Yeah, yeah. Clearly. In 1944, Henry died in mysterious circumstances during a fire near the family's farm. It was reported that Ed was clearing brush on the farm with controlled burn. The fire would grow out of control, and the fire department went out to the property to help extinguish it. Following the incident, Ed reported his 43-year-old brother, Henry, was missing. He Mm. killed him. Hey. A hundred percent. Hey. There There was a fire. He didn't know what was going on. He doesn't know where his brother is. He melted his brother. A search was conducted and eventually Henry's burned body was found. 
Although reports had said Henry had been dead for some time, bruises were found on his head and circumstances were, in fact, pretty fishy. Coroners reported that the death was accidental. Officially, Henry had died of asphyxiation. By smoke? Who knows? Probably not. This man was definitely choked to death by the fire. I, I mean, yeah, asphyxiation, probably from smoke inhalation, but his brother probably bonked him on the head with a four by four a couple times with the bruises that yeah. he had. Yeah. No, dude, fire tornadoes are actually nasty. Have you guys seen videos of those where they wrap around somebody's throat and basically hang them in a Wisconsin field during oh. the Great Depression? It's goddamn murderous fire tornadoes. Such a problem. Got to get a handle on that. Yeah, it's a real <laughs> epidemic. After Henry's death, Ed would spend the entirety of his time with his mother. <laughs> Lucky duck got her all to himself. He cared for her after she had a stroke. Man, this family's genetics. Dog shit. Wow. Yeah, because they're living off of fucking gruel and like <laughs> oats <laughs> and alcohol. Fucking. <laughs> On December 29th, 1945, Augusta died. <laughs> Mommy's gone now, Eddie. Ed was distraught and alone, driving him to live in solitude on a family farm. That theme is just par for the course with all of these folks that do crazy shit is solitude. There was enough warnings and weird shit before the solitude, but this is what pushed him to the other side. Gain would go on to board up and section off portions of the house most often used by his mother. He did this to preserve them as a memory to Augusta. Ed's interest soon turned to the macabre. He would read stories of cannibals, murderers, and Nazi atrocities. Oh, boy. There we go. You know we had to talk about Nazis. It's been a while, boys. Let's, let's get into it. What's weird, though, is that back then in the, the mid-40s, reading about cannibals and atrocities was probably like, if somebody found out about that in town that you were into that shit, it was probably like frowned upon. It was probably like, you know, you're going to want to stay away from that guy. But mm -hmm. culturally, like being into that stuff is so socially normal now. Isn't that weird? Like there's whole podcasts about just this shit and people eat it up. They eat it yeah. up. Yeah. Being into that weird true crime murder. Yeah. Massive cults and conspiracies who the hell would ever listen to that well no he's he's <laughs> reading about cannibals and murderers yeah, like that's yeah. not all we do here yeah we i know what do you're that saying, sometimes <laughs> yeah and it's socially acceptable that's right otherwise we wouldn't do it right no yeah you're right it's socially acceptable all of it i mean there's actual fucking nazis in this country so some portion of it somebody's accepting of it don't we just hand over hundreds of billions of dollars to Nazis in another country? Yeah, over and over and over and over. He would become especially interested in Ilsa Koch, who was the wife of an SS officer in World War II. Koch was well known for finding tattooed prisoners in concentration camps, having them killed, and using their skin to fashion lampshades. Hmm. Thrifty woman. Thrifty. <laughs> Thrifty. <laughs> On the morning of November 16th, 1957, the town of Plainfield was thrust into a perplexing mystery that would slowly unravel throughout the day. 
Bernice Warden, a 58-year-old owner of the local hardware store, vanished under mysterious circumstances, setting off a chain of events that would leave the community in shock. There's some interesting background to, obviously, the things that he looked into, but I was just mentioning Ilsa Koch. If you really look into that woman, wow, that is some crazy shit. And she became notorious, a notorious figure in World War II German history, especially for the things that she was making and doing. If you ever get a moment and you're into this crazy shit, please look into Ilsa Coke. At around 9.30 a.m., the hardware store's delivery truck was seen hastily departing from the rear of the building. Few customers were seen at the store throughout the day, so nothing seemed quite out of the ordinary. Frank Warden, Bernice's son, and a deputy sheriff became increasingly concerned as the day wore on with no sign of his mother. He decided to investigate and entered the store at around 5 o'clock p.m. What he found inside would truly disturb him. An open cash register and bloodstains on the store's floor. That's got to suck to walk into because you know what you're looking at. I don't know. Yes and no. Like, is something still going on is the main question. You walk Mm -hmm. in and like, is this still a situation or did something just happen here? Like, do I have to be looking for somebody? And are they alive? Turns around, he's wearing her face like, hello. (laughs) This is Doubtfire with the crew with the shaving cream. (laughs) Hello. As investigators began to piece together the puzzle, they discovered a curious connection. The night before Bernice's disappearance, Gain had visited the store and planned to return in the morning to purchase a gallon of antifreeze. The last receipt written by Bernice that morning was the evidence of the sale and the only piece of evidence police could go on. What year was this again? This was 57. No security cameras, huh? Probably not video cameras. Not even in, in, in the late 50s. They would have been the size of like actual cars, just like <laughs> mounted on a wall. Gain was arrested at a grocery store in West Plainfield later that evening, prompting the Washera County Sheriff's Department to launch a thorough search of his farm. They entered Ed Gain's house and uncovered a actual nightmare. They discovered not only Bernice Warden's body, but also the skulls and body parts of additional victims around the house. Looking into this whole situation, I couldn't figure out or find information as to why Gain was arrested at a grocery store that night. I couldn't figure out why he was arrested. Was Um, there a warrant out just because he was the last person to be around her? Yeah, I don't know. That possibly could be it. Maybe they put out an ABB. They did a really like poor sketch and put it on all the gas station windows. Yeah, that's another thing is there was no television to to spread his picture around or anything. So, but West Plainfield versus just regular Plainfield, how big is that town, you know? Warden's body was found strung upside down with her hands bound, decapitated, and described as, quote, field dressed like a deer. Her body was mutilated post-mortem after Gain had shot her with a twenty-two caliber rifle. That's brutal. That is fucking brutal. Yeah, and there was a bar 
um, that was holding her legs apart. So if you can imagine it, like a horizontal bar that went to her ankles and then the bar was suspended up above her. Upside down. Upside down. So literally exactly how you would feel dress a deer. Yes. Which you got to expect from, you know, backwoods type of small town, rural, grown man. He's going to know how to hunt. He's going to know how to do field dressings of animals. So it's on brand. I can't even imagine. Hushlings, we are going to rapid fire off some of the atrocities that the officers found on the farm. And they are as follows. They found whole human bones as well as fragments, a wastewater basket made of human skin, human skin covering several chair seats. Skulls on his bedposts, female skulls, some with tops sewn off, bowls made of human skulls, a corset made from a female torso skinned from the shoulders to waist, leggings, before they were popular, made from human leg skin. Actual leggings. That's creative. Uh, That's as morbid as that is. Masks made from skin of female heads. Mary Hogan's face in a paper bag. Mary Hogan's skull in a box. Bernice Warden's entire head in a burlap sack. Bernice Warden's heart in a plastic bag in front of Gaines' potbelly stove. Nine vulva in a shoebox. Sounds like a Nirvana song. A young girl's... (laughs) That was spot on. A young girl's dress and, quote, the vulvas of two females judged to have been about 15 years old. Yikes. So not only is he a fucking psychopath, he's also a sexual predator as well. I would imagine if he's collecting 15-year-old girls' vulvas. He was eventually interviewed about all this, and he was very forthcoming about it. Because what are you going to do? You can't deny it at that point. And they had straight up asked him, like, did you have sex with any of the bodies? Did you do anything sexual regarding any of these body parts or anything like that? And he said no. He also said that the bodies smelled really bad. So that was another reason, I guess, why he hadn't. I don't know if that was an admission of, yeah, I would have if they smelled better. But he's making clothes out of their skin, probably wearing them. You're telling me that he's not fucking them. Apparently not. You got to remember, this is all kind of a connection to his mother. Now, again, we don't know if that obsession with his mother was a sexual obsession but from what i've read of the cases and the whole thing it wasn't a sexual thing it was more just his mother had died who he was in, he was incredibly close with and he didn't know how to deal with her being gone maybe he thought he was going to be able to manifest her off the 11 vulva he had could be hmm. it's a lot of vulva Nine vulva in a shoebox. Goddamn. I'm going to frame that. Lastly, we have a belt made entirely from human nipples. Uh, That's wild. Uh, Four loose noses, a pair of lips on a window shade drawstring, and a lampshade made from the skin of a human face, nose and all. 
you imagine having a belt full of nipples? Yes, I can. I mean, not real ones, but a nipple belt, that's kind of cool. I like how Frank said four loose noses. <laughs> loose noses. Well, they didn't yeah. have a home. <laughs> what if they were, it could have been four noses stitched together, or like he fa- fashioned them to be salt and pepper shaker sets. I don't know. <laughs> You don't know. You don't know. (laughs) Just four. Why not six? Why nine vulvas? (laughs) You're making a fantastic point here. Like, if we tried to count the actual full bodies that we could make out of all of these things, it's probably going to come up to, like, four and a half people, even though there's nine vulvas and, like, four (laughs) noses. I'm thinking this is one body part per person. That's where my mind's going. You think so? Like a trophy. Makes sense. But you put them in weird places, faces and paper bags, shoe boxes. So the paper bag maybe makes sense. It's like if you got something, have you ever dried anything out in paper bags? Like marijuana? Or or shrooms? I used to dry my shrooms in paper bags. No, I hate paper bags. They draw moisture. They're great for ripening avocados very fast. Another piece of this story was apparently there was some teenager who had seen parts of his house and he was like a friend of their family and all this other stuff. And he had seen the inside of Gaines house. I'm guessing before all a lot of this stuff happened and had seen shrunken heads or what Ed Gain had told him were shrunken heads that he had gotten from the Philippines or something like that. And then later it was turned out that would show up in evidence as literal just faces, just masks, like real people's faces. He had been doing this for a little bit before this Bernice Warden trial had gone on. Can you imagine living in that town during that time, though? Yeah, and hearing all this, I just had a thought. Imagine this is the first debriefing that you've ever listened to us. And you just roll in and you're like, these guys are literally laughing at four loose noses. How dare they? We've gotten some comments from people that are like, you should stop laughing about death. I mean, maybe you should start. Yeah, if you've gotten through 80-something episodes that we've done. You know what to expect. Gain would be charged with the homicide of Bernice Warden. During interrogation, Gain told investigators he had killed 51-year-old Mary Hogan, who had been missing since December of 1954. Though her head had been found in his home and other body parts, he could not recall the details of her murder or desecration. So he's just blacking out? Yeah. Yeah, honestly. If you're looking at correlation, let's say, between pop culture, as we mentioned very early in the episode, he's modeled, well, Norman Bates is modeled after him. And if you're not familiar with Norman Bates, psycho, his mother dies, he dresses as his mother and kills people and whatnot. And he pretty much had these 
times where he would black out and do things and not know that he was doing them and then kind of wake himself up in the middle of it. There were a lot of things that he was like, I don't know what happened. I have no clue. I just woke up and found myself in the middle of a graveyard or I woke up and found myself covered in blood or whatever it may be. That was a lot of his stories. That's why I instinctually want to just call BS on that so hard. It's very possible. It seems like such a poor cop out. Well, I mean, they, what do they call them? Fuke states where you just kind of, you know, zone out and you're gone mentally. But it happens. I mean, imagine that you have some sort of condition or you have a mental illness where you black out and you do think, I mean, I mean, you do when you get blackout drunk, you end up living an entire life when you're blackout drunk and not remembering a single part of it. So imagine that just happens normally to your brain and how scary that could be because you're doing things and performing these acts that you have no control of, no recollection of. You don't know what happened. You're right. But in states of consciousness like that, most people will go, what can I do to prevent that? Or man, I really shouldn't have acted that way. Like this dude's getting up in the morning and turning on his fucking face lamp. And playing Yahtzee with loose noses. (laughs) (laughs) He's probably not blacked out during all that. One thing that he's been doing that he definitely wasn't blacked out during, he would admit between the years of 1947-1952 that he would visit local graveyards and exhume the bodies of recently deceased women. Eerily, many of these women resembled his mother. Different angle. So definitely not blacking out because he confessed to visiting a graveyard on 40 different nights, most of the time leaving empty handed. He was a body snatcher and left empty handed at the same time. So maybe the times that he was uh, picking at the women in their graves, that's when he was blacked out. Who knows? You know, so the reason that he said that he was coming back empty handed is that on roughly 30 of those occasions he would wake up from those states, see that he was in a graveyard, not know what was going on, and then he would leave. Wow. That's still just as nuts as doing it consciously. Okay, so we don't know how much of his actual conscious life was spent being Ed Gain versus being this alter ego maybe that he turned into or his mother that he turned into whatever it may be throughout his psyche. We don't know how much of that life was him versus that. So maybe he was this other character for most of the time, most of his life. Maybe he was that character, which is why he goes and he makes lampshades out of people's faces or does these horrendous atrocious things. Maybe that part of his brain had taken over more than the Ed Gain part of him, I guess you could say. Ed confessed to digging up the deceased and bringing the bodies home to skin and tan them for later use. He kept many other body parts, like we said. On most occasions, he left the victim's jewelry and personal belongings in their caskets, how thoughtful, before reburying it. He did admit to stealing from at least nine of the graves, though. Ah, see, he fucked it up. Could have had a clean track record. To corroborate Gaines' testimony, 
Alan Wilimovsky of the State Crime Laboratory examined the sites Gain had claimed to dig up bodies and found the story to be true, and ended up finding Gain's crowbar still inside of one of the coffins. Soon after the death of Augusta, Ed had dug up the bodies in an attempt to make a woman's bodysuit in the likeness of his mother. He wanted to, quote, crawl inside of his mother's skin and become her, end quote. Holy shit, dude. Yeah. I'm sorry, holy shit. <laughs> it's not even how biology works. I don't know what mental gymnastics this dude was doing, but I can't even fathom somebody, like, thinking that. Those thoughts really crossed his head, and he really, like, tried to do it. Gain had also fashioned masks from other body parts that he had dug up. He had carefully peeled the skin from the corpses and made them fit to his face and head, custom-made masks. From what I've been reading, it's actually pretty hard to skin a person well enough to do these things without ripping the skin and fucking them up. Yeah. Uh, I guess he was skilled. On November 21st, 1957, Ed Gain faced arraignment in Washerow County Court. He stood accused of first-degree murder. Gain's lawyer, William Belter, entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. I'd say so. And in January of 1958, Gain was found unfit to stand trial. He was committed to Central State Hospital, where he worked as a mason, carpenter's assistant, and medical center aide, so he made use of the time being there. Here you go. Here's a mental hospital. Also, you got a job. Yeah, imagine you're just like, I'm going to murder these people so I don't have to work anymore, and then they send you in there. They're like, get to work. Going back a, a, a couple of minutes ago, what a baller move to leave the weapon or the to leave the crowbar in the casket and be like i open the casket with this ah, i'm not gonna fucking need it yeah i don't think he was ever planning on being caught obviously because who's gonna go and find those grave sites and dig them up unless they were directed to or unless he brought them there well, they gave him some hard work mason carpenter's assistant medical center aid he's shoving pills down other inmates throats <laughs> It's so wild to me that this dude didn't get the death penalty. Like, if that doesn't get you the death penalty, what does? He's definitely insane. But if you're going to also, like, find him not guilty of doing some of this shit and just go down that road, yeah, I'm surprised that they didn't find the death penalty something suitable. And Out of all of those crimes, desecrating a human body and grave robbing and all that stuff, they found, they just went, and it was just, Cut and dry. Let's go with insanity. And then he gets three hots and a cot, a job. They do some crazy shit in 1950s Wisconsin. <laughs> How advanced was their medical evaluations back then or their psychological evaluations back then? Hmm. There, It's still pretty arcane back in the 50s. Yeah. Give the dude a lobotomy. Fix him right up good. I'm actually surprised that they didn't attempt to do something like that. Right. Especially with somebody like that. But the mental hospital that he went to was like for the criminally insane. So everybody that's in there has done some sort of fucked up shit. It's not just a normal spot where some, you know, 30 something wife 
is there for migraines and her husband says, you have a mental illness, go get lobotomized. Yeah. No, it's not Sucker Punch, right? It's, it's not <laughs> MK Ultra. Hushlings will return after this short message. Greetings, Hushtillians. As we continue Hushtober, we explore a phenomenon where a dark-eyed child may beg you for a car ride on a dark evening. Or they may knock on your door in the middle of the night asking to be let in. They have pale skin and black eyes. Sometimes wearing older attire. According to those who claim to have met them, they are looking for something. They require assistance. And they are persistent. Join us on October 16th for our 84th debriefing for black-eyed children. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. The reasons why he was mentally unfit to stand trial was he had a diagnosis of schizophrenia, which made him mentally unfit. His destination, as Mike said, was the Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane in Wapen. Later, he would be relocated to Mendota State Hospital in Madison. In 1968, 10 years later, doctors deemed Gain, quote, mentally able to confer with counsel and participate in his defense, end quote. Oh, so 10 years, he got away with it, and now they're like, back to the courthouse, motherfucker. He healed himself enough to be prosecuted, I guess. And on November 7th, 1968, the trial commenced, lasting only a week. According to Gaines' testimony, he claimed that while handling a firearm in Warden's store, the rifle accidentally fired, taking her life. He denied aiming the rifle at Warden and struggled to recall the events of that morning. This dude's full of shit. Straight up full of shit. I accidentally killed her, so I put her face Whoops. in a bag. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, imagine him tripping and falling and so carefully and gracefully carving the skin off of her face before he hits the ground. Like, oh, I wanted her nose. Yeah, it's one thing to say it was accidental shooting her, but everything that followed was definitely not accidental. I swear I didn't mean to decapitate her. Remarkably, at the request of the defense, Gaines' fate would be decided without the presence of a jury. Judge Robert H. Golmar presided over the case, and on November 14th, he delivered a verdict of guilty. But this was only the beginning of the legal proceedings. A second trial would tackle Gaines' sanity. Ultimately, Judge Golmar would render a verdict contradictory to his first, quote, not guilty by reason of insanity, end quote. The doors of Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane once again swung open to receive Ed Gein, where he would spend the remainder of his days. Welcome back to the gulag. Yeah. Bud. You're going to be a carpenter forever, pal. Yeah. Here's your hammer. It was interesting that they, they had two different trials. So one was the trial for the murder, and the other was a trial to figure out if he was actually crazy. Yeah. Well, just in time for pudding. Gain was tried for the murder of Bernice Warden. He also admitted to the killing of Mary Hogan. Yet there was a list of other unsolved crimes in the area of Plainfield around the same time as Gain's other killings. On May 1st of 1947, 
An unsettling incident unfolded in Fort Atkinson involving an eight-year-old girl named Georgia Jean Weckler. At around 3.30 p.m., she mysteriously vanished near her family's farm home. The day had begun when Georgia was given a ride back from school in Jefferson by a neighbor. She was dropped off at the gate leading to the U.S. Highway 12 to the Weckler farm. The last anyone had seen of Georgia was as she paused to open up her family's mailbox, retrieving a stack of mail. After that moment, she simply disappeared without a trace. Intriguingly, witnesses in the area reported spotting a dark-colored, possibly black, 1936 Ford sedan that afternoon, equipped with a gray plastic spotlight. It was that detail in particular that raised suspicions, as it's noted that Ed Gein owned a similar black 1937 Ford, casting a shadow of uncertainty over the disappearance of the young girl. Evelyn Grace Hartley, a 15-year-old girl, went missing while babysitting at the residence of Vigo Rasmussen on October 24th of 1953. Evelyn's father, Richard, grew increasingly worried when his daughter failed to check in as expected at 8.30 p.m., and in an attempt to reach the Rasmussen household, he made several phone calls, but nobody picked up the phone. He decided to pay a visit to the Rasmussen residence. The house was locked, yet lights were on inside and the radio played in the background. The house was a mess with things all over the floor and furniture in disarray. Evelyn's school books were scattered in different locations also. Maybe his daughter was just out fucking. Fifteen? That's one of the vulvas for sure. (laughs) You think so? They did say that it was around a 15-year-old female it came from. I hate to even ask, but what does the forensic science look like to identify the age of that body part? Like, how how do you even begin to pinpoint that? I I don't understand. In his search for his daughter, Richard discovered her shoes placed in separate rooms. One upstairs and the other was downstairs. He also stumbled upon her broken glasses upstairs. However, Evelyn was nowhere to be found. Gain, of course, emerged as a potential suspect. He had been in the vicinity, visiting a relative just a few blocks from the Rasmussen residence at the time of Evelyn's disappearance. Nevertheless, Gain denied any involvement in the incident, and he even submitted to two lie detector tests, which he passed. Despite an extensive search of Gain's property, no trace of Evelyn's remains were ever uncovered. To be fair, obviously no brownie points for gain, but he was very forthcoming with all of his evidence and telling them what happened and the murder of Mary Hogan and all that other stuff. So he, up to this point, he's pretty much admitted to doing all these things and was you know, saying he's not having sex with corpses and saying this and saying that. It's not like, you know. If you admit one thing, then all of a sudden it's going to get worse for you. Like you're already in a shitty spot. For sure. For sure. Oh, by the way, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, pretty bad. Authorities looked into the possibility of Ed's connection to other unsettling incidents, including the vanishing of Irene Keating, a 30-year-old woman last seen in Plainfield in August of 1956. 
Additionally, they explored his potential involvement in the attempted abduction of Judy Rodenkow, a 16-year-old girl from Auroraville. Other cases in the Wisconsin area possibly involved gain. After multiple lie detector tests and denials by gain, it was determined he was not involved. Ed was sentenced to life imprisonment with no possibility of parole. It's probably a good call. In 1974, Gain petitioned for release from the parole board anyway, where he was told parole denied. And on July 26th of 1984, Ed Gain passed away due to respiratory and heart failure. The notoriety surrounding his case led to persistent acts of vandalism on his grave, which eventually resulted in its theft in the year 2000. Somebody straight up took the headstone. In June of 2001, Gaines' gravestone was located near Seattle, Washington. Presently, it's on display at a museum located near Washara County, Wisconsin. That'd be one hell of a museum to go to. That's probably the coolest place in that whole fucking state besides like a cheese tour or something. His grave site is easy to find, I guess. If you go to Plainfield, uh, you can find his unmarked grave between his mother and his father and next to his brother because their plots are labeled. And apparently people used to go to the headstone and take chips off of it, break chips off the tombstone to keep as mementos. I've never heard of somebody doing that. There's a community of people, you know, it's people into it. All right, hushlings. It's time. It's here. You know it, baby. Hushtober version. Reddit. This was an interesting one that I found in the depths of Reddit. Uh, not much in Reddit as pertained to Ed Gain, just kind of you know, his story and pictures over and over and over again. But this comes from the subreddit Old School Creepy. And the user is Proximity. Title goes, My grandmother was once hunted by Ed Gain. Goes on to say, She lived in Marshfield, Wisconsin. That's also where I grew up. It's just up the road from Plainfield, Wisconsin, which is where Ed lived. When my grandmother was younger, a guy kept trying to get her to get into his truck with him while she was walking home. He got insistent enough that she had said that she ran for it into her house and then saw him circling her block repeatedly looking for her while she watched him through a crack in the curtains. A couple weeks later, she said he was all over the news and she recognized his face and his truck as the person who had just been trying to coax her into the vehicle with him recently. Wow. Wild shit. Imagine? Proximity would not have been born. No. All right, Hushlings. It's time for final thoughts. Declassified. Dave, what are your final thoughts on Ed Gain? You guys have your pumpkins in hand. I never took my pumpkin off for oh, this entire Oh, we were supposed briefing. to wear it the whole episode. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. You didn't know that? Next one. Next one. We got three this month, so. You dropped the ball. Gross. Um, Ed Gross Gain. The stuff that this guy did uh, was pretty fucked up. Perfect for Halloween, I guess. I guess you could say. The whole trial aspect of this thing is the most bogus part of this because it's back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, he, he really didn't get crazy negative treatment 
other than, you know, people stealing his grave. But I guess that's not too big of a deal, considering he used to steal noses and vulvas from graves and people's skin. Ed Gain, always gross. It's cool that they, whoever wrote the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and wrote Psycho, the motherly thing and the connotation of serial killers like that. So it's interesting pop culture creativity going on there. But Ed Gain, gross. I will say, I think Ed Gain, if he was telling the truth as far as his consciousness during these acts, I do question, like I said earlier in the episode, whether or not he was himself, I guess, for most of this, or he was this alter ego, or maybe he had multiple personalities. We don't know. But either way, really, really messed up stuff. I think that a lot of people get it mixed up and call him a prolific serial killer. He is not a serial killer, at least not by what he was convicted of and from. He's a very infamous killer just because of how gross the things were that he did. But yeah, a lot of people categorize him as a serial killer, which is not correct. But just a little note from me. Slick Frank Sanders. Give us a spooky final thoughts. Frog's final thoughts. Dude, this is probably the most stand-up guy. He's the most stand-up guy in the world of serial killers. He, he seems to be super honest. I know I called BS multiple times throughout the episode, but I kind of had a change of heart after he submitted to numerous rounds of lie detector tests like this man had nothing to hide and he had no reason to lie especially after he got caught you know some killers they like to flaunt what they've done and they like to uh almost brag about it look at me so infamous i feel like that wasn't the case yeah really nasty stuff just totally covered his house with really gross human body parts i can't even imagine uh Spooky, spooky, spooky. All right, Hushlings. That's going to do it for the first debriefing of Hushtober this year, this season. What'd you think? Was there anything we missed? Anything that we should have discussed? Should we have delved deeper into the body cavities of these victims? <laughs> should we have opened up the ice chest and seen if we could find more vulvas? Reach out to us, as always, contact at hushhushsociety.com. Be sure to tune in for our next debriefing where we'll be staying creepy with an otherworldly one, the phenomenon of black-eyed children. That'll be streaming everywhere on Monday, October 16th. Patrons, Birds Aren't Real is now available. And on October 19th, for you guys... We will lay on the table next to Frankenstein for our Hushtober exclusive debriefing. That's Thursday, October 19th. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for another debriefing. I think we're in the 80s. I lost count. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mr. Mike. And I'm sick Frank Sanders. (laughs) (laughs) Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight.